Take a deep breath. I like to think about how every breath we're breathing in Christ, that he is around us all the time. That just like the air is around us, and so often we don't think about it, that is Christ. He's with us. He's here. And it's kind of in that vein that, that we've been talking about the Beatitudes, which is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. And Brian's son, uh, you know, talked about how, how it's the Sermon on the Mount is, and the Beatitudes in particular are gospel good news, not just ethical things to live by, right? You know, I mean, they certainly have been applied ethically, Last week uh, was celebrated Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, day. And the whole idea behind his movement was nonviolent, trying to apply the Beatitudes to turn the other cheek, to resist injustice, but do it peacefully and with grace. And similarly, Gandhi actually had a deep, deep respect for the Sermon on the Mount. He actually said at one point he would probably be a Christian if it weren't for the Christians. <laughs> but uh, he modeled his movement on it. But see, here's the thing. The Sermon on the Mount was never meant to be a uh, if you do this, then you get this kind of ethical, moral leanings. In, in fact, it was... It was when Jesus was speaking, right, he goes up on the mountain and he sits down and he calls his disciples to him. This isn't the crowd. He's not telling people in general, let me tell you what it looks like to be a good, you know, person in the world. He's saying, look, if you're my followers, let me tell you what your life is going to look like. And this is where it gets really sticky for us. I'm going to assume if you're listening online or you're hanging out here that you consider yourself at least in some form or fashion a follower of Jesus. So this applies to you. These things that we've been talking about are supposed to be the outflow of your relationship with Jesus. They're not the way you get into a relationship with Jesus. And there's a big difference in that. Because sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, like last week, oh, well, you know, if, if, if I'm mourning and I'll be comforted, you know, that, that there's this, if I give my grief to God, then everything will be made better. Well, maybe. But see, the, the, the key piece to remember in this is this is a promise of what your life should look like as you follow Jesus. Kind of like if you adopt a kid, right? The child joins your family, and they are loved and accepted and welcomed, and they're there, right? And then they start to learn the behaviors of the family. And so, 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 so that. say you adopt somebody from another country, and they don't speak the language. They don't you know, understand how to, you know, I mean, if they're from Asia and they're used to eating with chopsticks, they don't get forks. But yet, as that child grows up in your family, they learn English, and they learn the culture, and they learn how to, you know, eat the way we do, and they learn our bathing practices, and they, their life changes as they hang out with the family. That's the idea behind these things we're talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Your life should look like this. And if it doesn't, 
It's an area where, well, Jesus hasn't totally changed your heart yet. But the goal is to let Jesus change our hearts, not just change our behavior. And there's tons of grace, because, you know, outside of my wife, nobody in this room is perfect, so... So with that said, today we're picking up the third of the Beatitudes, and it is honestly probably one of the hardest ones to follow. And, and we're going to kind of flesh it out a little bit, but this is, this is rough. And it's, it comes out of Matthew 5, 3, and it says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, if I say meek, what comes to mind? Describe characteristics of, a, of somebody who's meek. Gossip. Uh, what? Gossip? Gossip? Docile. Ah, yes. Masks, they're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Docile, yes. Timid, yes. Hmm? Giving? Okay, giving. Hmm? Humble, yes. Gentle. See, I think a lot of times we think of meekness and we think of sort of like that mousy person, right? Who's, who's docile and humble and quiet and gentle and sort of just stays in the background, the little wallflower. It's usually used as a derogatory term, right? In fact, so when we, when we think of meekness, we think of it being backwards. And it's, and it's weird to hear Jesus say, for they will inherit the earth. I mean, it's not the weak, mild, weak, mild hmm, squishy, soft, wimpy people that are going to take life and build something beautiful out of it, right? It's weird. It's backwards. It's kind of like, well, this guy and his pets. We have a picture of that. See the little white thing at the top of the cat? (laughs) That's a pet rat. This guy travels around with these three hanging out together, right? Natural enemies, or should be. Somehow, they get along. It's weird that the weak and the wimpy or whatever is going to inherit the earth, which is why I think we need to define what we mean by meek a little bit more. It's not new that we kind of see it derogatorily. I mean, back to actually in the Greco-Roman world of Jesus' day, they, they saw it similarly. It, it, you know, it, it was not a virtue. It was something that was like, well, yeah, of course you say being meek is good, but it's not really good. And, and actually, uh, Nietzsche was a, was a big studier of Greco-Roman philosopher, and and he said, this was, I thought was hilarious, that um, meekness was exactly the sort of false virtue that the weak would applaud because, well, it's about the only virtue they could actually pull off. <laughs> this idea that, well, yeah, of course, we're going to turn the world upside down and say that, that meekness is a virtue because, well... If you don't have power and strength, then you might as well make being weak a virtue. But that's to miss 
the point. You see, if you, if you look through Scripture, there's actually several different words that meekness is translated into, and we mentioned some of them. But, for example, in Matthew 11, where Jesus asked people to take his yoke upon them and learn from him because he is lowly and humble in heart. That humility. And, and similarly, in, in Matthew 21, when Jesus is riding down on the donkey into town, the symbol of, of lowness, of servanthood, he says that these, Jesus is described as gentle and riding on a donkey. Like I said there. And similarly, in 1 Peter 3.11, Peter is telling you, if you want to live a good life, you want to live well, and see good days, you should seek peace and pursue it. Peace there is the same word for meekness. In fact, one Bible translation in a little bit flowery terms describe meekness as one who doesn't trust their own power. It's this idea of, of humility, of gentleness, of peacefulness, of not striving, grabbing for power. which I would argue takes far, far more strength than to focus just on yourself. You see, Moses was described as the, the, the humblest or the most meek man. Jesus describes himself as humble and lowly. It takes a tremendous amount of strength to rein in your power for a higher purpose. It's not cowardice. It's not timidity. It's not fear. It's not being weak. It's being strong for the right reasons and purposes. So, how many of you have ever spent time with horses? Okay, about a third of you-ish, quarter of you. We grew up, we moved to the country when I was 12, and we had a seven-acre farm, and so we bought some horses. And you learn really, really quick that horses are amazingly strong. <laughs> I mean, you can just be walking them, and they change their mind, and it's like, Wah! Or, you know, I had my head stepped on, and I had a bruise on my face for, like, three weeks. It's a whole story. I'm not getting into it. But... They are big and powerful and strong. They kick you and it's like you go flying. In fact, I, I love this picture of these horses. They are these powerful, strong, massive animals. And yet, you can take something like this and you put a bridle on them, and you can get those powerful, wild, strong, crazy animals to do this. <laughs> Braid their little hair. Do you think they go back later and be like, Bob, guess what they made me do? <laughs> you see, with the use of this, Literally, horses have reshaped human society for millennia. I mean, before this, 
they were good for food. They were wild. They were pretty. They ran on the hillside and did their thing. But bridled, man, think of all the way horses have impacted society. They helped us plow our fields and taught us agriculture or allowed us to do agriculture. They empowered armies and let the horde from Genghis Khan sweep over basically all of the known world. They've been friends and companions and, well, ended up living in a 14-year-old boy's barn and became one of his best friends. With a bridle, the horses became something totally different. They became meek. And see, in that sense, meekness is just simply power under control. It's not weakness, but it's intentionally focused and aimed and under control. When Jesus talks about being meek, what he's talking about is bridling yourself for his purposes. It's about taking your power, your, your autonomy, your opportunities, your possibilities, and instead of using it for selfish reasons, to use it for his. And so I want to pause and, and think about this for a sec. Each and every one of you have a certain amount of power. And by power, I mean, you know, not just physical lifting strength, but I mean power to influence the world around you. If you want, if you want your spouse to do something different, you have an ability to make them do that, or at least work that way. Every wife and kind of gives her husband a little glance, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. You have a way of influencing and changing the world around you. You have a way of, of, of using your words to lift people up and transform them and bring them into the world, you have a, or into, into goodness. You have a way of pushing people down and, and you know, squishing people. You have a way of loving people and being generous and giving them grace and goodness. You have a way of being unforgiving and bitter and holding on and rejecting people. Every one of us has a certain amount of power to affect the world and the people around us. Meekness is using that only for good, not for yourself. When was the last time you influenced somebody greatly? Was it in a good way or a bad way? Did you terrify and scare somebody? Or did you give them a tremendous amount of grace? Did you speak words of encouragement and life and hope? Or did you kind of make a sideways sarcastic comment to get them to stop bugging you? See, the person who is meek always lives for the life-giving side. And this is why this beatitude 
is so incredibly, ridiculously hard. Because as followers of Jesus, our call is to not ever use our strength for ourselves. In fact, this gets really particularly hard in relationships. I mean, I'm sure all of you have always had an absolutely beautiful, amazing church experience and, you know, home experience and work experience. None of you have ever had any tension and difficulty where you felt unjustified or, or you felt, you know, belittled or you felt like you needed to get ahead or you felt like you needed to get your own or argue something out, right? No, nobody. I certainly never do. All right, confession time. I was thinking about it sitting here in the pew and there were some people I was upset about. But here's the command that we have as followers of Jesus. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, Jesus' disciples, the people he's talking to in the Sermon on the Mount, holy and dearly loved, Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has any grievance against another. Pause there for a sec. Can you think of anybody you have a grievance against? You're supposed to bear with them and forgive them. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive And above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You are never to use your power to strike out at anybody or to push them away or to hate them or to be bitter. You should always be wrapped in love. Yeah, 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 but... But if we do that, doesn't that mean we get hurt? Doesn't that mean that, you know, if, we're, if we don't, you know, shun the people who are going to be painful to us, if, if, if we're not trying to lift ourselves up and get ahead, if we're not trying to defend ourselves when we're wronged, if we're not trying to make things right, doesn't that mean that we get hurt? Yeah, it does. In fact, that's a promise from Jesus. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. But be courageous. I've overcome it. You see, it takes a tremendous amount of strength and courage to know something is going to hurt and to do it anyway for the sake of goodness. J.C. Connell, in his book appropriately titled Meekness, goes so far as to say this. The meek do not resent adversity because they accept everything as being the effect of God's wise and loving purpose for them so that they accept injuries from people also, knowing that these are permitted by God for their ultimate good. Look at Jesus. He stood before Pilate, knowing he's going to be crucified, 
And when he was going to be beat and spat upon by the people who loved him. And Pilate said, aren't you going to defend yourself? And he said, God put me here. You only have the authority that God has given you. Not like a droid, but, or Jedi, but you only have the authority God has given you. So do what you do. Can you imagine living with that kind of an attitude? That's how we're called to be as followers of Jesus. And can you see why maybe this beatitude's a little rough? In fact, even John the Baptist didn't get this real well. Jesus had to clarify when John is arrested, put into prison, he's eventually going to be beheaded, and he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, hey, so uh, when's this kingdom of yours coming about? Because I want the world to change. This sucks, and I want to be out of prison, and so you're the Messiah. You're going to overthrow the Romans. You're going to set the world right. When are you going to do that so I'm not doing this? And Jesus tells his disciples, go and, tells John's disciples, go and tell him this. Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Yeah, maybe I could snap my fingers and change the world and overthrow the power structures and set you free from prison. But that's not what I do. Don't be offended. You see, in our world, we so often think about ourselves and our pain and our difficulty, and we want everything to be fixed. In fact, honestly, this is why I think God doesn't smite us anymore pretty narrow bandwidth that he did in the past anyway. But it's because he has power that is under control. He uses it for bigger purposes, not just to fix our insecurities or our fears or our difficulties. He's with us. He comforts us. He walks with us. But he also understands that long-term transformation and change and beauty requires walking through difficulty. So honestly, why I think the beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, comes before blessed are those who meek or meek. Because if you walk in meekness, you will need to mourn. So, I feel like I should say any questions, but that's probably enough to let you soak on. I do want to say a couple things, though, about what meekness is not. Because I think this is where we get in trouble and why we think it's so often squishy and pointless. Meekness is not always putting a veneer on yourself and everything's happy and fine. No matter what goes on in the world, it's all good. I had a friend of mine who worked at a grocery store, and they had a guy in the store whose name was Happy Dan. Well, they nicknamed him Happy Dan. Because every time you saw him, you're like, how's it going? It's amazing. Oh, it's just so great. My family's wonderful. I love my job. The guy collected shopping carts, and he was like 45 years old. 
I mean, it was a great job. But he was always hiding under a veneer. That's not meekness. Jesus wept. He got frustrated at the disciples. How long do I have to put up with you guys? <laughs> like there is a reality. There is a mourning. There is a, 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 a honesty and a vulnerability that comes with me. In fact, sometimes it's incredibly difficult to be vulnerable like that. I have an amazing friend of mine who is guy's guy. Like construction, builds bridges, like this tough, strong Amazing friend. And when my dog died, kind of tragically, I don't need to get into all that, he was the first one who came and saw me and helped me bury her. And he hugged me and he let me cry for an incredibly uncomfortable amount of time for two guys to hug. It took a tremendous amount of strength. Meekness is not hiding behind a veneer of just everything's fine. It is also not about not having boundaries or just getting pushed over or walked over. I mean, the same guy who, you know, Jesus, meek and lowly and humble of heart, walked into the temple and overturned all the tables. He also said some really not nice things to the Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs, you pits of vipers. <laughs> it's not saying, no, you know, everything's fine. It's not being a parent and not having any discipline for your kids. <laughs> Though you may wish that. I saw the head nod. It's not having boundaries. But it's not having the boundaries all about you and what you get. I saw the cutest little thing in the airport when I was traveling not too long ago. There's this little, I don't know, two and a half feet year old girl that was walking down the gangway and her mom was following her and her mom goes, do you love me yet? No. But do you, you know, but I love you. Do you love me? No, I don't love you at all. <laughs> And the mom was just laughingly following the little girl. The mom let the girl say hurtful things to her. Now, she also didn't let her run into a store and tear things apart. <laughs> but she, she realized, like, you can say things, and it's okay. I don't need to force you to always do what I want you to do. It's not not having boundaries, but it's about doing it not for yourself, but for goodness in the world. And the third thing that meekness is definitely not, it is not being abused. See, if you are a spouse who's stuck in a relationship because you're afraid your spouse will steal the kids or bankrupt you or destroy you or you'll never be you know, able to find love or you're worthless. That's not meekness. That's not power under control. That's just being under control. 
See, love and sacrifice, meekness requires that you intentionally choose to enter and stay there. If you are afraid for your life, that's not a virtue. That's injustice. Jesus could go to the cross because he knew at any second he could snap his fingers and call 10,000 legions of angels and annihilate everybody who disagreed with him. But out of love, he could choose to lay that power down to enter that situation. That is very different than being in an abusive relationship or situation where you feel powerless, hopeless, out of control, like you have no options. That said about what it is not. Meekness is choosing, even in the face of adversity and difficulty, to love, to be there, to commit, to enter in. So where does this whole inherit the earth part come? <laughs> right, okay, so I'm going to be meek. I'm going to, you know, if people abuse me or hurt me or say, people say bad things about me, I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm not going to take it personal. I'm going to be grounded in who I am. You know, I'm, I'm not going to strive to get ahead. I'm not going to strive to make sure everything works out in my favor and I'm safe and protected. I'm going to lay all that down. I'm going to try and live completely out of love, you know, surrendering to whatever the world offers because I know I'm grounded in Jesus. When do I get to inherit the earth? Right? See, to think about it as a reward situation, it's not the point. Like, yes, at some point in time, you'll inherit the earth. God will take his people. He will set everything right. He will restore the earth to the way it was supposed to be, and we'll all live here perfectly held in love and goodness and in the presence of God, and it'll all be okay. And incidentally, if you're the ones who always live to protect yourself and strive to get ahead and use your power inappropriately, you're the ones that get in trouble. Yes, at some point in time, we will inherit the earth. But there's also a component for it right now. In fact, in a little bit later on in the next chapter, Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer. And he says, our kingdom come, or your kingdom come, our, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are called in the middle of our laying ourselves down to help bring God's kingdom into our world. And you know what, can I, can I say, there's a component in that where we do get rewarded. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you would consider yourselves being raised by abusive parents? Don't raise your hands. That just makes for awkward conversations in the foyer afterwards. <laughs> do you trust them? Do you feel loved? Do you feel valued? Have there been consequences for making future relationships because of that? Has it made you guarded and made it difficult to love? 
You see, we can use power, control, manipulation to get what we want, and parents do it all the time. Share that. Do that. Don't touch that. Shut up. Hopefully not that. But, you know, we can snap our fingers and use our power to control children. And all parents do, to some extent. But if that's the only way you relate to your children, by and large, you won't have trusting, loving, beautiful relationships. On the other hand, if you listen and you're gentle, you give grace and you help them understand, not boundaryless, but you guide them, you love them, those are the kids you grow up into healthier relationships with. And it's easier for them to have healthy relationships. It's easier for them to connect. It's easier for them to raise their own children well. Meekness is a long game. It changes the world for better. Right? Anytime we strive and use power and authority for selfish reasons, it actually hurts the long game. There is a component to living in meekness that helps us inherit the world in a good way now. To give us connections and beauty, relationships. As we close here, let me reassure you that this is gospel. This is good news. This idea that, that even when you lay your power down, even when life treats you unfairly, even when you strive for something bigger than you, knowing that it will hurt, that God's got you, that he will work for good, that he will hold you and carry you forward, that you don't need it to be all about you. And that sounds scary, but it is a beautiful promise really nothing else matters other than Jesus calling you. Are there places in your life where you've been striving? You've been defending yourself. You've been pushing people out. You've been striving to get ahead, control things, and make them all right. It's time to ask God to help bridle you. Use that power for good in our world. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that you were meek. I thank you that you used your power for loving us, that you turned the other cheek, that when we wanted to revile you and tear you down, you let us. 
And I thank you that in that you show us what love is. And through your love, offer to transform and change us. So may we strive ever more to live as you've called us in meekness, in humility, in gentleness, using all of our power for your glory and goodness. In your name, Jesus, we pray.